turn to Ephesians 4. We are back in the same verse from last week, verse 28 of chapter 4. Because uh, Craig Daniel made a good point at the end of our discussion last week, and I want to continue to build on it. Uh, First, I'll read verse 28, and then recap some of the main things we talked about, and then uh, hopefully we can continue to build out some application. So, follow as I read Ephesians 4, 28. This is the Word of God. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, as we move on in this section, we're going to continue to see this paradigm that we learned in verses 17 to 24, put off the old self, put on the new. We see that in our passage, let the thief no longer steal, put off, rather let him labor, doing the honest work with his hands, put on. Uh, Those hands that were used to steal, those same hands are now used for hard, honest work, putting off the old way of life, putting on the new in Christ. Now in terms of theft, it includes all sorts of things. Of course, it includes taking something from the store. includes various financial crimes, tax crimes, fraud, money laundering. It includes, we talked about last week, the way uh, we might waste away a work day on the internet, robbing our employer of uh, an honest day's work. It includes grossly underpaying employees. And the list goes on, and I was making the case last week, these are all just one form or another of theft, taking for ourselves what is not ours to take. But our passage goes deeper than the act of theft. It gets to the heart. Because whether taken from the store or financial crime, wasting away the work day or grossly underpaying employees, the underlying heart issue is I want to get for me. But what we see at the end of verse 28 is the motive that we're called to cultivate is to give to others. So God instructs us in hard, honest work Not so that we might have something to keep, but so that we might have something to give. Uh, This doesn't do away with other pastors in Scripture that talk about providing for your family and things like that. Certainly there's that. Uh, I do think we tend to get a little excessive in what we call providing. But what we see here is kind of a primary principle for the purpose of our work. Um, Not only does this address acts of theft, it addresses the heart and purpose of our work. Not only are we called to put to death acts of theft, we're called to put to death the heart of theft in our work. We're called to work in order to give, not in order to get. Um, It's really the difference between seeing ourselves as owners and as stewards. Uh, The reality is that none of what we have is actually ours. And even if you're the owner of the company, we're not the owner, capital O. God is. We're all stewards of what God has entrusted to us for His glory. We're called away from thievery into stewardship. So in order to develop this biblical vision of work that we get here in this passage, we went back uh, to Genesis 1 last week. You don't have to turn there, but I'll recap very briefly. 
In Genesis 1, we find the origins of work in human history. And what we found is that God created everything. The apex of His creation is mankind. And God gave mankind some responsibilities to steward in His creation. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue. uh, Have dominion over everything that has been made. Many things can be said about that uh, responsibility of subduing the earth and and having... uh, responsibility, dominion over the creation. But at a basic level, what we see there is the roots of work. And this is before sin entered the world. Remember, God saw everything that He made, and He said, Behold, it is very good. And a part of this uh, very good creation is this built-in responsibility for mankind's work. So, in Genesis 1, what we see is we see the value of work. Work is very good. And we see the nature of work as stewardship before God. He made it all. It all belongs to Him. He gave us some responsibilities to steward for His glory. Now, it wasn't long after that until sin came into the world. Sin frustrates our work, makes it more complicated, makes it less fruitful than it could be. Uh, But work did not all of a sudden become not good because of sin. Work is still very good. It's a part of God's very good design for creation. Sin frustrates our work, but Christ redeems sin. And uh, that doesn't only mean He's taking us to heaven, it also means that He restores us to His original purposes. He restores us to His original intentions for our work. So, in Ephesians 4, we're not only being called not to steal, we're also being called to a redemptive vision of work. We see that hard, honest work is very good, and we see that we are stewards, not owners. God is the owner. We're called to repent of our thievery and not just acts of stealing, but to repent of our sinful orientation that we all have at one level or another, uh, down at the heart level, that desire that uh, we desire to work in order to get for me. A a redemptive vision of work flows from a heart that desires to work as a steward of God uh, for the glory of God and the good of others. And that, that was God's original design. That is what Jesus restores us to. So one of my main applications last week when we were talking about that is dealing with finances. And then Craig made a good point at the end of our discussion. I want to continue to build on that. Essentially what he said is stewardship is about way more than just finances. Uh, Finances are a part. But we are stewards of everything that we have uh, for God's glory, for the good of others, for the expansion of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And Craig and I had a follow-up conversation about that this week. He gave me an acrostic that he learned from a man named Pete Oaks. Pete, Craig's about to go work for Pete, and uh, I wanted to give the acrostic to you. Pete is a Christian businessman. He owns multiple companies, uh, but just, I think, a great example is one who sees himself not primarily as owner, but as kind of chief steward um, in, in these endeavors. And so, we've got... life. He says, when we think about stewardship, we should think about our labor. We should think about our influence. We should think about our finances. We should think about our expertise. And I'll just add here experience. And then, I 
really don't want to mess up a perfectly good acrostic, but I was thinking about uh, maybe a couple other things, and I've already kind of harnessed it here, so I'll just add to it. Can you, can you put it together in there? That's a good idea. That's a lot of extra. That's a lot to remember. That is way too much. But I'm going to go angular here. P, T, possessions. Time, and then I'll just put a G. <laughs> Gospel. But, you know, I'm sure you could add to it or take away from it, whatever. But there we have it. Uh, you may not. Honestly, though, I mean, you know, we're not going to go into all these in, in great detail, but I think that's a good start. If you're like, hey, this whole issue of stewardship, it really strikes a chord with me. I see biblically that's who we're called to be. Uh, and I want to think through kind of how to apply this in my life. That's a good start. Um, some, some areas. So let's work through some of them. Labor. Uh, one way we should think about this is just whatever labor God has called us to right now. You know, not necessarily thinking and trying to over-spiritualize it and say maybe we should be looking for something else. No, He's put us where we are. Um, some of us, that's primarily in our home. Others, it's working with this or that company. Others, it's both. Uh, but thinking about stewardship and whatever labor God has called you to right now. <clears throat> We're there to give and not to get. Um, one thing this means is simply working hard and working honest. Uh, setting an example in our work ethic for those around us. You know, I've often said this about Dr. Young. Um, of course, I think one of the legacies that he's going to leave behind in this church is his preaching. Uh, but I know, for me, maybe more so than his preaching, I think one of the biggest impressions that he's left on me is his work ethic. Uh, I think he has maximized his gifts and skills that God has blessed us with, him with because... He has been such a good steward of them because he's just such a hard worker. Um, but not only working hard and working honest, just approaching our work as a primary context where God has placed us in order to serve Him. What are the greatest commandments? Love God, love people. And we have to ask ourselves, are these the guiding principles uh, that we view our work through? To love God and love others. God has placed me here to love Him and serve Him and love these people and, and serve these people. You know, that means a lot of things. One thing uh, I think about, just in the context if you work on a bigger team or whatever it is, you know, it's often just kind of back to the grind and you got to get your numbers and you got to get your numbers. I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't. But um, just, you know, engaging in people's lives in a way that's not normal in that environment. Maybe picking up on context clues about certain difficulties that are going on in their life and pulling them aside for a lunch or, uh, you know, just thoughtfully thinking about how you can serve whatever needs are there in their life at that time. So being good stewards in our labor does not necessarily mean a change of context. Oftentimes it's just going to mean God changing me right where He has me and kind of reworking the way that I view the work that He's given me to do. Uh, another example, there was recently a, uh, 
uh, lawn and landscape need on GOL for a family that had lost a loved one. And there were multiple people in the lawn and landscape industry that, you know, ping back and are like, hey, anything like that comes up, you know, just let me know. And I think that's a, whatever your industry, wherever there's crossover and wherever there's need, um, just seeing, I think that's a good vision of, hey, this isn't all about me and getting for me. This is about I have some labor skills and things like that that we can help others and uh, whatever that might mean. So again, stewardship in my labor might mean a, uh, it doesn't have to be in a change of scenery, but for others, um, it might. It, it might mean a change of scenery. For example, I mentioned last week the man that learned how to be a coffee roaster in order to go to a Muslim nation and start a coffee shop. And a big part of that vision was to make a living, you know, to be financially independent and take care of his family. But the underlying reason that he went, he and his family, was to spread the gospel and uh, make disciples of Jesus. He, he went to a country where you can't go be a Christian missionary because it's against the law. But you can go as a coffee roaster and an owner of a coffee shop. And so through that industry, they have opened doors with locals. Uh, they've been able to employ them and uh, teach them a trade and give m- many of them more gainful employment than they ever would have had elsewhere, and then to disciple them in the Lord. It's really an impressive operation where not only now are they growing, harvesting, and roasting coffee, employing locals every step of the way, but they're planting churches and they've seen hundreds of people come to Christ in an unreached uh, you know, closed Christian nation. Labor is stewardship. It's just the idea that my labor does not terminate on me. It's stewarded for the glory of God. That may mean subtle shifts in my heart and mind right here. Uh, It may mean, you know, larger shifts in kind of my vision of, of what I'm up to. Now, regarding business as missions, like this coffee roaster guy, uh, just my thoughts. It's one of the most welcome movements in the church today and on a fairly large scale because I think the church in America is seeing that not only do we have more biblical knowledge than most places in the world, um, biblical knowledge that we don't need to hoard but to steward to the nations, but we also have a lot of skills. And uh, we, you know, skills and, and uh, knowledge in, in the area of work that are lacking and needed all over the world. And this gets into influence and expertise as well. But healthy, sustainable business uh, can be used not only to help people in less fortunate areas kind of prosper and stand on their own, but also to open doors for the spread of the gospel. Anyway, influence, uh, labor and influence. I'll give you two examples of kind of different ends of the spectrum uh, earlier I mentioned Pete Oaks. He's a guy that came up with his acrostic, or at least part of it. Uh, uh, one of Pete's companies is called Seat King. They make uh, tractor seats, and they are you know, just a flourishing, capitalistic company. Um, but part of what he's doing is employing prisoners uh, to make these tractor seats. And with his influence, he's been able to go in work it to where he gets these prisoners a job, and uh, they, they're prisoners employed by him. They're making the seats. He's paying them gainful employment while they're in prison, but also discipling them uh, so that they will, you know, hopefully meet the Lord, but also be able to transition when they get out. And I just think it's a great example of someone who's used his labor, his influence as a wealthy businessman, his finances, his expertise, not only 
in order to help mend a broken system, but also to help spread the gospel. Uh, you know, the prison system is badly broken. Prisoners are not being rehabilitated. It's something like 80% go back. Uh, and here's, you know, one company's effort to do something about it. One of the things I hope we can take away from this couple-week focus on stewardship in our work is, uh, you know, the freedom to dream kingdom dreams over and above capitalistic dreams. And uh, don't hear me saying I'm not for capitalism. I'm all for it. But uh, I just don't like the value system that often comes along with that, which is get for me. So Pete gives us a different paradigm. Wildly successful, much more successful than most of us will ever be. But how to, cap, how to parlay that capitalistic success into kingdom advance. But it's not all about big dreams and big operations. Um, another example of stewarding influence on a smaller scale. A friend of mine is a successful businessman with lots of contacts in the area, in the region. Uh, another friend was getting out of prison. I've told you about him before, Billy. And, uh, you know, it's hard for someone to get out of prison to get a job. Now, Billy became a Christian in prison nine to ten years ago. Uh, by the time he was getting out, he's a model inmate. He's got a wall full of certificates just with all the different things, trades that he's learned in order to kind of give himself some options when he gets out. But even though... He's ready in that sense. When you get out and you don't have contacts and connections and you're a felon, like you don't have contacts, you don't have connections, you don't have a voice, and you're a felon. So uh, this friend of mine who has these connections goes to a friend of his and says, hey, man, I know this is taking a chance, and, you know, yeah, this is his history and all that. But Billy ends up getting a job with this friend. Um, He's since moved on to a different job since then that fits him better, fits you know just location and skills and all that. But the thing that I've been struck by is without my friend using his influence in his you know circles to kind of take risk on behalf of this guy, he doesn't get the initial job and he doesn't get this other job. And so that's kind of another thing. Just I don't know how that comes up in your life, but uh, we who have influence, you know, wielding that influence for those with less. Finances. Uh, we talked about this at length last week. I'll just say a couple more things here. Um, don't get comfortable in your giving. I think for all of us, our temptation is to get comfortable. And uh, don't, someone said this last week as well, don't just think that tithe belongs to God and the rest belongs to us. Again, it's all His and regular sacrificial giving helps reorient our minds and hearts to the fact that we're stewards that none of it is actually ours that it's all God's and that he's entrusted it to us to steward for his glory and for the good of others so a theme song around here live more simply to give more sacrificially to accomplish the great commission Uh, a couple applications I don't know up the percentage that you give weekly or monthly to something that you have to significantly simplify your life in order to do Um, like actually getting rid of things that you're used to or comfortable with or whatever it is and then from time to time just give a large amount of money um, that you didn't budget for because I think sometimes we just need to reshock the system and reorient ourselves to it's all his he's going to provide for us Um, And that's a good way to do it. 
That's on a personal level, on a, on a company level. Many of you will be or are in positions where you can influence the stewardship of the resources of the company uh, and where, where those things go. Um, start pushing to give around the world for various needs, you know, here locally, globally. Uh, I always love the example of Barnhart Crane. They make uh, millions of dollars, but they cap their salaries at the executive level. They keep enough to keep the business thriving, but they gave something crazy like 99% of their company away in a trust. People are like, you can't do that. Yeah, I can. It's my, my company. <laughs> you know, But they give like a million dollars a month to missions. I mean, that's crazy. Now, that's on the extreme end of the spectrum, um, but you have to start somewhere. And I think for those that are in these influential positions in their companies, it's, it's just a great thing to be thinking about. How can we move in that direction uh, to be giving that way? Labor, influence, expertise, and or uh, experience. Uh, and fine, that was finance as well. So just to think about what are you good at? You know, uh, what do you know how to do? What, what skills have you picked up along the way? And I think a good place for all of us to start or to, you know, refocus and move forward is just to say, Lord, you're the author of my experience. Uh, you're the author of wherever I am today. You have shaped me to be here. You've given me the skills that I have. You've given me the expertise that I have. I want to use that for your glory. I want to use that for the good of others. I want to use that for the expansion of the kingdom. I, I don't know what that best looks like. For some of us, that doesn't mean changing scenery as much as heart and mind shift there. Some might mean change of scenery. But just laying it all before the Lord, you're the author of my experience and expertise. Help me to know how to best glorify you with what you've done in my life. Um, you know, it might look like an open door for a ministry opportunity. I think a good example of that around here is the uh, Houston football MIT. And the men that lead that, Craig, Daniel, Gary Gleason, Joe Fazio, uh, Eric Kriegler, they all have football backgrounds. Craig was a football coach. Uh, Gary was a college football player at Mississippi State. Joe played at Notre Dame. Kriegler played in the NFL. He's also a coach now. And, you know, just using what they know and what they're good at, um, and it's turned into a great opportunity uh, I believe it's one of the most consistent evangelistic opportunities that our church has ever had. And uh, 100 plus players and coaches every week in our building, we get to, they get to rub shoulders with our people, eat a meal, and hear the gospel. You know, and uh, it's just a, it's a neat opportunity in the normal flow of life that kind of capitalizes on that experience and expertise. And so it's something to think about. Um, possessions, you know. Mention one uh, here, but you can fill in the gaps. And one that I love to think about and am very challenged by is our homes. Uh, our homes are not our own. We are stewards of our homes for God's glory. How can we steward our homes uh, for the glory of God and for the good of others? And uh, whether regular fellowship and hospitality, uh, inviting our neighbors in, and um, We've talked about this this morning already, uh, but here's a challenge for us with the upcoming missions conference. And again, if you get the bulletin, you can see all the details and uh, stuff going on that whole week. But the title of the missions conference is the lost, the lost Children of Shelby County, dealing with orphans and opportunities for foster care, safe families, which is kind of like, uh, I guess, foster care light. 
I think is a good way to say that. And then adoption, uh, things like that. And, you know, we all know that we're called to different areas in those efforts, uh, some a supporting role, a praying role, uh, whatever role, a hosting role. Um, but I think what we can at least do in light of the fact that all that we have is God's and we're called to steward for His glory, we can at least go into this missions conference with an open heart and asking Him uh, to prepare our hearts and asking Him for to guide us and lead us in these efforts and how we can contribute and participate in uh, serving the lost children of Shelby County. So, uh, lastly, time. You know, immediately when I get to this one, uh, I can only, I mean, for me, the immediate reaction is what time? You know, so maybe you can relate, but uh, I'm out of time. And then I thought, well, that's probably a good place to start. What does that say about my stewardship of my time if I'm out of time? And that's not to say, I mean, of course, some are just in a crazy busy season of life, can't help but be pinched for time. But, you know, how can I make shifts in my commitments? What are the fundamental uh, most important commitments? Uh, why is my time so full? Can we reduce how full my time is? How can I be a better steward of my time? And Again, all of these, I think, just to personally work through. Um, and, of course, lastly, the gospel. Just the uh, always being uh, forward-minded in opportunities for how we can steward this great salvation that we've been given. Um, so, how about thoughts and or questions from you guys related to all of this? Logical, if I could. Yeah. And, uh, many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with Dave Ramsey, who's on the radio, talks finances. He spoke at Bellevue back last weekend, by the way. And uh, of course, you were probably here, so you didn't get to hear him at Bellevue. But if you go to Bellevue.org, Ramsey's presentation is is a well spent 45 minutes, kind of listening to his his financial testimony. Of course, he talks about his faith in Christ, but. But he goes through five biblical principles of you know financial success, and it's the things that Chris has been talking about. It's the things that we all know, of course. You know, be on a budget, get out of debt, and those things. But he <coughs> a, a second point is a very interesting starting point was having a lot of money will will make us more of who we are. If we're greedy and selfish and we're jerks, we're just going to be even more of a jerk. But if we're, you know, if we love Christ and we're, and we're giving, it's going to make us even more of a giver. So that that was just an interesting insight to me that I never thought of. Yeah. So I don't I don't always think that we ought to be praying for more money because it might yeah. amplify some bad things in us. Sure. But, uh, and even then, though, to deal with those things and then the freedom to money in itself is not. It's it's neutral. It's not bad. It's not you know. Evil. And if our heart's right in it, it's a great blessing and uh, I mean what a great resource we need it uh, everyone needs it and so yeah but dealing with kind of the hard issue underlying there that was well spent 45 minutes cool I was reading a story um, there's modern modern missions in the western hemisphere or something and it's talking about um, people especially in affluent areas leveraging position leveraging them, themselves um, and the story went something like this it, it's got this company owned uh, a blue jean factory. 
they were selling movies for about 200 bucks a piece, but it only cost like a dollar to make wherever they were. It's $199 profit off of it. Uh, the guy who had the position, um, the boss, went over there and saw that basic health care wasn't even provided for them. And he's like, I want these workers to have health care. And the foreman who lived there goes, that's impossible. Like, no way, we can't. There's no way we can do that. They said to them, it was a, a big deal. Mm-hmm. And it kind of seems overwhelming, like paying for health care for everybody. And the guy said, do the numbers. So he did the numbers. And it was going to mean that he was like making a $197 profit versus $199 profit. Wow. It was just nothing. So sometimes, I guess what I was getting from it was, you know, well, there's no way we can provide health care for everybody, you know, wherever it is. But sometimes you run the numbers and you go, that's not that big of a deal. And you leverage your position. And he mm-hmm. goes, uh, he goes back to his board. And that's what they did. And now there's that service provided to them yeah. with minimal, real minimal cost. Yeah. But um, sometimes we think it's a greater cost than what it really is. But le- that's a great le- example. Leveraging your position was the point. Yeah. And, you know, right at the heart of stewardship is uh, in that whole narrative in Genesis 1 is we're all created in the image of God. And so... I mean, just valuing God's people as made in the image of God and placing on them a value that would say, hey, they need quality health care. And there's a lot of really influential positions yeah. here that we could do that. We can, we can say, yeah, we're gonna, you are going to provide this or we'll get yeah. another sweatshop or whatever. Right. Yeah, that's good work. Anybody else? Somebody dying to say something? Holden's always dying to say something. (laughs) You can refrain unless you have something. I just think with the gospel part, I think I like in Acts 8 when, uh, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. I feel like, like just with my neighbors, I'm like, I feel that kind of like, I need to go over there and talk to them. You yeah. know? And I think just we should always, it's our duty to be prepared to pass. Do you understand what you're reading? And the guy goes, no. And I think it's our duty to be able to understand and teach that to them. And that's a great point. It's our duty. And that's an as we go, just in the, you know, hey, there's a chariot. Hey, there's my neighbor. Hey, you know, um, Thank you for that. Another thing I thought about is being stewards of our fellowship, our community here. Uh, I think that, you know, whether people know it or not, they long for uh, close relationships in the body of Christ. And because we're made to know God and love Him and serve Him in the context of community. So even just, you know, inviting people into that and not being kind of... uh, not seeing the community as an end of itself, but uh, always keeping an open door to new folks and being inviting and warm and all that. That's very good. All right. Let me pray and we're done. Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, this day. Lord, we thank you for all that you've given us. Uh, you've you've given us all that we have, and uh, most of us can say that's quite a lot. 
Uh, Lord, help us to see that in, in the light. Help us to uh, understand all that you've blessed us with from uh, different uh, labor skills and influence and finances and experience and expertise, our possessions, our time, uh, the most treasured possession of your great gospel. Lord, uh, help us to become good stewards or to grow to be better stewards. And uh, Lord, I just uh, I pray that you would uh, shape our minds and hearts to that end, that we would glorify you uh, to take up the responsibilities you've called us to, uh, to love you and love others in all areas of life. And uh, we just ask that you would establish us in your ways. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.